I'm dreading this Christmas season. There are things about it I love, but when I'm honest, I don't know where to put myself in all that we call Christmas and Christmas season. I don't know where I fit in. Jesus Christ is not my Lord and Savior. So it's a little bit like going to a birthday party and you don't know who the party is for and everyone's singing happy birthday and you get to the part where you say the name and you kind of have to go la 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 la. <laughs> love the cake, love the people, love getting together. Um, but it's, it's so confusing and so I with your permission, I'm going to drag you through my trying to find meaning in this multi-layered, complicated uh, mishmash of Santa Claus and Christ and Advent and Christianity and who knows what else. Because I, I'm looking for tools, my world feels upended. My world feels uh, unstable and insecure and uncertain. I don't know where the future will bring us. Thank goodness, I don't know. That's a good thing. There are a lot of people out there that want to tell me they know exactly what this election means and where we're going and what's going to happen. And uh, I don't feel that certainty at all. But it makes Christmas and Advent and these weeks leading up to Christmas, and for those of you that are uh, truly liturgists, the weeks that follow, just uh, unsteady. And it, it feels like I'm a faker. Yes, let's do Christmas. Uh, like a lemming, let's do Christmas because everyone else does. And I am certain, this is what I am certain of, that if we part some of the layers of history and culture and dig back into the Christmas story, and I can't say the word original because this is oral history that's been written down, but I think there are, I hope there are, things for us to learn from a people who are a minority who are working against a government that can be incredibly brutal but also provides them with roads and taxes and services and they're trying to make sense of their own beliefs and what they see is right and good and what is wrong and I'm hungry for that kind of story and when we don't pay attention to what's underneath all these layers that are uh, 2,000 years old we end up with this really weird mishmash of stories so I know I know and love you and I know you had not brought your Bible to church today am I right? 
oops, left it on the table. (laughs) Or it's still in the car. Because you may be aware or you may not be aware that of the four Gospels, only two talk about the birth of Jesus. And they talk about the birth of Jesus in completely different ways. So what I've given you is the oldest story about Jesus. And I have stepped right into the middle of the story for you. You will thank me because the first 17 chapter or first 17 verses in Matthew 1 is a genealogy. So it is Matthew and Luke that start out talking about Jesus being born. And I keep thinking this is... So Matthew, just a quick biblical history. The Bible's written, the New Testament, the four Gospels are written several decades after Jesus dies. So this is not a factual account. It is not history. So what I want us to get from it is I would call it more like the parables. So let me frame that. You know, when we tell the story that is now uh, not even, no longer a biblical story, but shows up in um, every kind of piece of literature about the Good Samaritan, no one says, now what was that Good Samaritan name? And where did he live? And where in Samaria was he from? We don't care because it's a parable. It's a teaching story. So we're not worried about the details other than it is about tribes who don't get along and one is willing to cross that boundary and help someone from the other tribe. So it's a teaching story. So that's the first context I want us to place this particular telling of Jesus' birth. It's a teaching story. It is not history. It is not fact. So if you've ever tried to reconstruct your own past, I've asked before how many of you have gotten onto Ancestry.com or swabbed your cheek or gone through pictures to sort through where did I come from and how did I get that particular trait? Oh, Aunt Mary, right. What we're reading is a community who's small and pushing against the common power and trying to sort through, wait, we just went through something amazing. We just had this fabulous teacher and the empire killed him and we're still trying to make sense of it. It's now 40 years later. We've told stories. I wonder how it all started. So that's what this first Matthew is. It's a, an effort to reclaim and think about, so where did, how did this all start? You know, Jesus was, so back to the genealogy. Jesus was one of us. And what the genealogy does is so interesting. I won't bore you, it's 77 generations. And you thought you were doing well with Ancestry.com. But, It's Jesus. And the 
authors of Matthew trace Jesus back to God, and then Adam, and then Seth, and then Cain. And what they do is amazing is they, names that will be familiar to you, Noah and uh, David, but what they don't take out is, oh, right, that person was begat by a rape, and that one was incest. So the genealogy is the genealogy of someone very human. And I don't know about you, but my Thanksgiving meals are always interesting, and I always learn new twists, which we'll call them politely, about my own family and Joe's family and extended family. We are messy and complicated. And the first 77 ancestors of Jesus, well, let's start with God. Pretty darn complicated, right? So we know Jesus is human, but those of you who are um, so clear that this religious project we're doing together is not about miracles, it's not about supernatural things, how do we make sense of this particular telling of the story has Joseph being told, wait, 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 don't, don't dump Mary, even though she's pregnant, don't dump her. There's a reason for this. And then there are cultural understandings of how you tell a story, first century understandings of what it means for history to unfold and what might make it unfold. So think about it. We're talking Rome, Roman gods. They have an understanding of things that are moving history without you being part of it which is where we all sit, that things are happening around us and we can't change and do everything. Someone's pulling the strings, it feels like, and that was their explanation. So Matthew, Matthew is actually not a story that we know well because in Matthew there is no angel coming down and telling Mary that she's uh, going to bear a child. There is no crash. There are There are... There, is no, there are no three kings. In fact, most of what we call the Christmas story is not in the oldest version of Jesus' birth. Because these are not Christians yet. These are Jews. And they're still trying to make sense of this guy who died and had a lot of wonderful things to teach them. And the things that he taught them were counter to the empire. So if the Roman Empire is about peace with might, let's conquer this land, build roads, inject a bureaucracy, establish a leader there from afar who will answer to Rome. That's the Roman version of peace. And then comes this Rabbi who talks about peace in a whole different way. Love thy neighbor. What? What? 
How do we make that work? So these are a people still consider themselves Jewish. And what Matthew does is it plucks from the Torah, from all of the five books that everyone who is sitting and hearing these stories knows so well. The story is coded with references to the Torah. And actually what it's doing is is it's establishing, so they're trying to make sense. Who is this Jesus guy? Wait, 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 what do we do? Oh, oh, we know someone from the past who was a great leader and led us out of slavery. This is like Moses. So the parallels, these first two chapters in Matthew are in effect a retelling of the Moses story with different characters. So Moses leads his people out of Egypt. But first, when Moses is a baby, the Pharaoh wants to kill him. And in fact, decides to kill all the firstborn sons to get rid of the possibility of this baby growing up and taking over. And lo and behold, someone takes Moses, puts him in a basket, floats him down the river, subverts the story and subverts where the power lies. And guess what happens with Jesus? This whole story in Matthew, this retelling is more of, Jesus barely shows up. Mary, Mary's only mentioned that she gave birth. Matthew 2 is all about King Herod. And King Herod getting news, he sends the Magi, who are not kings. King shows up in the other, the other telling that we'll talk about some other Sunday. But in this telling, it's the Magi, who are the Zoroastrians. The, if you could roll a lawyer and a stockbroker and an astronomer-scientist into one... You'd go to the Magi and say, what, what, what do you think? <laughs> what do you see? And that's exactly what King Herod did. said, okay, you three Magi, I've heard there's something going on. Go find out for me. And they go, and they are so changed by this birth that they don't go back to King Herod and say, oh, you are so right. They move on because they've been changed, and King Herod's like, well, where are they? Something is amiss and knows that he should be afraid of this baby and does exactly what the Pharaoh does and all of the children of a certain age are killed. We don't tell that story much in our department store versions of Christmas. That's what it's it's about. It's about fear of power and fear of what someone small and powerful with followings who's teaching peace can do. Let's back up momentarily and talk about the fact that Jesus, I hate to tell you this, is not white. 
So we are talking about a black baby, a brown baby. Black Lives Matter. We are talking about the story of a family who, in order to fulfill some of the biblical prophecies from the Torah, the story is told and set up in such a way that um, I lost my train of thought. Oh, it's set up in such a way that it mirrors the Pharaoh and the fam- and Moses leaving, leading his people out of Egypt. Because what happens in this story is he's in Bethlehem and he goes to Egypt. Joseph takes Mary and Jesus to Egypt. And there he waits. He's a refugee. He's an immigrant. King Herod dies, and his son is worse. So they're still awaiting word. So Jesus is growing up, not in Israel, not in Bethlehem, but in Egypt. So the first century people hearing this are going, oh, Egypt, I get it, I get it. Just like Moses. And then finally the word comes that it is safe to leave And because in the Torah it says the Messiah who is born is born a Nazarene, that's exactly where Joseph and Mary take Jesus, they take him to Nazareth. In this telling. So what I want us to do, it's going to take time to unpack and sort through all the layers of Santa Claus and Christmas and um, but I'd like for us to talk about these stories in this way looking for this is what I'm looking for so I invite you to join me I'm going to pay attention to all the Christmas carols and all the commercials on TV and all the displays of the creche scene in people's houses and in front of their churches and notice what's missing, or if there is still a thread that connects us to the very first telling of the story of how Jesus was born. So is the baby black in the crush scene in front of whatever church is near your home? They are in certain parts of Tulsa. It's worth driving around to find them. And what about what's going on in Standing Rock? And how does that inform us, and how does this story inform us about what it means to be from a land and have an empire run by money and oil, say, ah, we don't care what's sacred to you. I need to drive my car. And how do we make sense of all of the conversations we're having about people crossing the border from Mexico or other parts of the world trying to get into the United States and what it means to be from away and to be escaping 
murderous war in order to protect your family. I want you to try and hear that. See if any of that remains in any of the Christmas, Advent, things you come across this week. Because that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to look for if there are any remaining threads of what it means when a people want to push against tyranny. And also to listen for how we tell stories about our own heroes who may have died or how, how did they become who they were? What, what, what common threads, what symbols do we use and rely on to explain that someone came from nowhere to become great? May it be so.